Hi. Welcome to the CJB Sports Show podcast on this episode. We'll have the Bombers training camp. We'll hear from Stanley Bryant, Chad Rempel on the CBA. Also, the biggest Bruin fan I know, my dad, joins the show to preview the Stanley Cup Finals from the Bruins fan perspective. And also, why a group of athletes and former athletes is going to the World Anti-Doping Agency and saying, hey, get cannabis off the banned substances list. You'll hear from them on the podcast. Bob Irving today, after their training camp session wrapped up, talked the back-to-back offensive lineman of the year, Stanley Bryant. Stanley Bryant, this is, I've counted them now, this is 10 CFL training camps for you. Is that about right? Yeah, that's right. Long, <laughs> long, long days. Yeah. Uh, it's a grind, it's a process. One of those things that you try to enjoy, but you really don't. But, I mean, it, it's good to, to go out and just compete against guys, young guys, guys just come in and trying to earn a spot. Yeah. But it is a bit of a, after this many years, camp is no fun, eh? No, no. Camp, camp, never been, camp hasn't been fun since high school. <laughs> but it's just one of those things you have to do. I tell people all the time, it's, it's just one of those things that's tough. It's kind of mental. It's a mental thing, but it prepares you for a long season. Sure. So you've played a long time now. Do you, do you have to work a little harder to get ready for camp than you used to? I can say honestly, yes. Um, that's, one thing, <clears throat> that's one of the things when you get older, um, off season, it's hard to to drive yourself to, to work out and do things. Um, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just age and you just got to kind of figure, like you got everything figured out. Um, but that's one of the tough things to do is just getting ready for it. A lot of athletes say they retire because not because they don't enjoy playing anymore, yeah. but they can't do the training anymore. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. But uh, I'm, I'm committed. Uh, one of those, those things I did in the offseason, I, I worked out, worked hard uh, to try to, to stay in shape and, and still come out here and compete every day with these young guys, even though I'm getting older and older. But, I mean, I still feel young. These guys keep me young, though. Yeah, that's good. So, two changes on the O-line, and we know what a tight group the offensive line is. What were your thoughts, Stanley, when you heard in the winter that uh, Goose and Sook were gone? Well, I know the Goose situation, that was, that was very shocking. Um, you know, he's one of those guys that's, that's been in Winnipeg, I forget how many years, so I thought that he had a long long career coming, but I guess he decided to, to do other things, and he's, he's blessed to, to be able to have the opportunity. And then, you know, I'm just proud of Sook. I mean, he had good years here. Um, I guess it was time for him to make a change and, and head back home. So I wish him the best. But we got guys like Michael Torr, Cody Speller, uh, Jeff, ready to step in and, and compete and play. Why didn't you still got Pat Newfeld beside you? Huh? Yeah, old man Pat. So we're about the same <laughs> age, so we'll be good. We're not the same age. Football years, we're the same age, but uh, we'll, we'll do good together. So Willie Jefferson comes over to play on your defensive line. You know him from playing against him. What kind of an addition will he be? Um, he's great. He's gonna. I think he's going to wreck habit this year. I think uh, him and Big Hill, Jeff Coat, uh, Big Drake, you know, Jake Thomas, those guys. The front seven and also the DBs, they're going to they're be great this year. Um, he's one of those guys that can, can make big plays. You've seen what he did against us uh, last year, the manager ball. So he's just one of those guys that can change the game and, and even the season. One thing fans ask me more than anything else is, is this the year? So I'll ask you that. <laughs> yes, this is the year. This is the year that um, we're going to put it all together. I know last year we was... It was one step close. close. Yeah, we just we just need to make that one play. Um, it was hard, but we forgot we forget about it now. So we're ready to take off and just take it one game at a time. But I'm going to say this is the year that we put it all together and get it done. Well, you do have a good team. Clearly, you were good last year, the year before. This is a good team this year. Yeah, I think I think we're a good team. Um, we, we added some new additions. You know, Chris Matthews, Willie Jefferson brought Biggie back. So, I mean, um, 
sky's the limit for us. We just got to put it all together. And, you know, health is always the key on both sides of the ball. So if we stay healthy and go out there and win games, we'll be in a good situation. And back at training camp today was long snapper Chad Rample after spending a lot of time hammering out the new CBA. Bob asked him about that. Chad Rample, tell us what you feel were the the best gains or the best part of the CBA from the player's perspective. Well, I think most importantly, um, we made some improvements to our uh, health and safety. Um, We doubled our medical coverage for this year and tripled it for 2020, so that was very important to our membership. Um, As well as uh, forming a partnership with the league uh, via revenue sharing, Um, that was important to us as well, is uh, forming that partnership moving forward and, you know, buying into the the CFL 2.0, um, it's it's good for everyone when the league thrives, and that's the way we wanted it. So, we've heard about a rule where, or not a rule, but a clause where three-year vets, four-year vets become nationals in some fashion. Can you explain that? Uh, yeah, essentially, um, what we wanted to do is protect current members' jobs, that being the Canadian ratio at seven, and also add value to our current American members and incentivize the teams to and players um, that are here for three years with the same team or four years aggregate in the CFL. So, uh, you know, we want our American brothers to be to, to form a home here. Um, this is a great league, and uh, they should be rewarded for spending time here. So can an American replace a Canadian in the starting lineup down the road? Correct. And exactly how will that work? Can you expand on that? Um, That doesn't come into place until 2020, so um, the language details are still being worked out, so I can't comment on that at the moment. So how would you describe the process in general, Chad? I know you were very involved in it. Was it uh, a challenge, or how would you describe it? I mean, well, that's that's bargaining, right? It can be contentious and challenging, but I think most importantly, both sides were wanted to get a deal done, and and uh, we truly feel like this is a partnership moving forward, and we've worked through it, and and uh, everybody's happy. It's a fair deal for everyone. Yeah, like a final, still four nights away. Lots of time to preview it from many angles. So let's go with the Bruins fan angle. And joining us now is the biggest Bruins fan I know, Rob O'Mell, who is now basically a regular contributor to the CJOB Sports Show. Also, he's my dad. So, Dad, most pressing question, are you going to go to a game? Uh, sadly, Christian, I will not. Uh, I My heart was sent on going, and then when I found out that the cheapest ticket I could get was going to cost me upwards of 900 bucks U.S. Oh, my God. Uh, and. Uh, and that's for basically touching the back wall of TD Garden. Ugh. I started readjusting my <laughs> expectations. So uh, in Canadian dollars, we figured if I wanted to go see game one and game two, I would probably be into somewhere in the order of $6,000. So I said, uh, I can have a lot of beer and chicken wings sitting in my local uh, establishment for that kind of money. Now, don't get me wrong. You'd love someday, bucket list-wise, to go to a cup final game in Boston, right? Uh, I would, and I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't see this coming because I probably could have uh, planned it out a little bit better. So uh, I could have maybe at least not, because even the, the accommodations were like $300 US 
a night kind of thing. I don't know. I guess it's kind of peak season in Boston. So if I would have, you know, in hindsight, when Tampa got knocked out, I probably should have just reserved a, a hotel room for a week and then canceled if uh, Bruins didn't make it. But I didn't have that much for forethought. So shame well, on me. To be fair, you had just retired and you had a lot going on. Well, the other thing, we're still not through all the home renovations, and and right now it would be really cool and a you know bucket list moment to be there. But I didn't want to be sitting at home in September going, "Dang, why did I spend six thousand dollars to go to Boston for a hockey game?" Right. So now, if I'm really lucky, next year history repeats itself, and I'll be definitely able to plan it and pull it off a lot easier. Well, the nature of Boston sports is that there'll be something in the not too distant future for you to go see. Uh, that is true. Though I'm not a big Patriots fan, so no, I would never put no. something there. But, no. but uh, it's not to say I I'm not going to be hitting there. You know, sometime even this fall to try and do uh, my 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 next. Not going to the top Cup games would be to be there for the game they uh, raise the banner. Right. And then maybe pick up a ball game and a basketball game then. Fair enough. Fair and, enough. and do a sports week. So how do you feel about Boston's chances? I feel optimistic. I only have one reservation, and then that is Mr. Bennington can pull off the dreaded Ken Dryden rookie sensation, actually beats the Bruins and uh, takes them out when they're were the favorite. So. I think the Bruins' uh, lineup uh, is uh, from start, you know, from top to bottom. I would say you give the advantage to uh, the Bruins, uh, but goaltending can steal you not just games, but a series. Or in the case of St. Louis, it basically has stolen all the way to the finals. So that makes me nervous. Yeah, but on the flip side, you've had maybe the best goalie in the postseason. Yes, but playing with, well, I'm not going to, you know, game three in Carolina, Rask won them that game. There's no doubt about that. Uh, By weathering the storm for the first, you know, 25, 30 minutes. Uh, But uh, even the, the, you know, the game four clinching game, Boston's defensive play and forechecking and just their system, they played it almost to perfection. Yeah, Rask has to stop 23 shots, and you know there's a couple couple key saves he makes, but it's not like he's facing an onslaught game after game after game. So, now he's playing good, and I don't want to jinx him. And, and that's the other thing I worry about is, you know, for guys that were in a groove, and the goalies are probably the most, uh, you know, apt to be affected by this. Uh, I think what will it be like an 11 day layoff? Yeah. Yep. Between between competitive games, that that really kind of you scratch your head going, how do they as a team keep their edge when they've had that kind of break? They can scrimmage and they can do whatever, but in reality, uh, that's a long time not to really have to go hard. So that does worry you. Yes, definitely. Now you've probably haven't watched a whole lot of the Blues games. What do you know about them? Uh, well, obviously, I, I watched uh, a few of the games when they were playing the Jets. Uh, watched a few of the games uh, when they were playing Dallas. Only watched, 
I think I watched most of the first game against San Jose, and then from there, kind of just uh, flipping around between it and basketball and what have you. So I haven't done a whole lot of, you know, I don't know their team really well. I know they've got, you know, some uh, decent, you know, defensemen. Obviously, their goalie's strong, and then they've got lots of role players up front. Do you remember at all 1970? Because that's going to get talked about ad nauseum going into the series. I remember the aura of Bobby Orr. Like, I was five years old. I could re- vaguely remember watching parts of the games, but obviously I wasn't up for the overtime goal, you know, series winner or anything of like that, right? I just, I can remember this, you know, that's that's kind of the first year I can remember hockey and remember the aura that was around the Bruins at that point in time. You know, you combine Bobby Orr with Phil Esposito and Ken Hodge and Johnny Busick and Wayne Cashman and Derek Sanderson and all those guys, right? They had a core team there that, you know, for for a few years was, you know, dominant. And that's kind of my first recollection of hockey. Where were you living? uh, We were actually living in Walkerton at that point in time. Okay. So you weren't out east yet? No, didn't move out east until uh, 72. Okay. So you're going to say something there. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, you know, Boston, for me, that's that's kind of where my, you know, fandom of the Bruins started was with that, you know, Bobby Orr's breakout season. You know, that was all the talk in the world of hockey. You know, when you're out playing ball hockey everybody wants to be you know Phil Esposito or Bobby Orr because they were like the main face of the NHL at that point in time so are they going to win it uh I'm thinking they're going to win it in six so I'm going to give St. Louis a a couple games to I'm almost I'm almost thinking game one St. Louis might because St. Louis is a strong road team and Boston's going to have such a huge layoff that game one might they might lay an egg and then it's going to take them that kind of a little bit of a slap in the face to wake them up, and then I think they get rolling. And how much merchandise will you buy if they win? Uh, probably. Are you going to slow down on that this time thing. around? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I don't really have a man cave anymore to put all the okay. merchandise in. Okay. So I've got, I got about 10 totes worth of sports memorabilia now sitting in the basement, so I don't want to really add much. I'll, I'll get probably a, a hat, uh, some sort of T-shirt, you know, maybe uh, a banner or a poster, but that'll be, it won't be like the uh, 2011 win where I bought, Everything. I don't know, half a room's worth of stuff. <laughs> that was their <clears throat> that was their first win in like 50 years, though. Exactly. Well, since 70, what was it, 72, so. Yeah, pretty much 50. All right. Well, I uh, appreciate yeah. you taking time to join me. I guess enjoy the rest of the layoff if you can. Uh, I will uh, get some nervous tension going here. All right. Thanks, Dad. Okay, bye, Christian. It's my dad, Robert O'Mell. Over 150 current and retired professional athletes have joined forces to petition the World Anti-Doping Agency to get cannabis off its prohibited substance list. Athletes for Care submitted the letter to WADA today on behalf of its members and also created a change.org petition for other fans and supporters to join the campaign. Anna Valent is the executive director of Athletes for Care, who joins us now. Before we go into today's news, Anna, 
Can you just explain what Athletes for Care is? Um, Athletes for Care helps uh, retired and current uh, professional athletes leverage their voice uh, to impact positive change, uh, uh, specifically in the world of health and wellness and safety in sports for athletes of all ages. And I've talked to Riley Cote on the show before, uh, who's worked with Athletes for Care as well, about uh, cannabis and as a way of recovery. And the news today is that a number of athletes are basically calling on the World Anti-Doping Agency to say, you know what, Why, let's stop cracking down on cannabis because there are too many benefits. Is that is that a right way of interpreting this? Yes, absolutely. Um, there is absolutely no reason that cannabis is on the ban list. And uh, so we believe that if WADA were to remove it from their ban list, all of the sports organizations would follow. Right. And so are the, the, the athletes that are kind of calling on this, are they current athletes? Um, some of them are. This effort is actually led by a professional rugby player, Anna Simon. She's in her 18th season of professional rugby. Um, so she is a current player. Uh, through our 150 athlete ambassadors, about a quarter of them are current athletes. So where do we go from here? Well, our goal is to uh, drive a lot of attention to the issue, uh, to help educate and advocate. Uh, We certainly want to get the attention of the World Anti-Doping Agency, uh, but also bring awareness to the general public uh, that this is a health and wellness tool uh, it is something that is great for recovery, for pain management. It's a great alternative to uh, many harmful uh, substances that we take every day for um, health and wellness and to treat injuries. And um, we will also want to bring awareness about the organization. So for athletes who are struggling or are passionate about health, wellness, and safety in sports, we want to introduce ourselves to them and um, get them on our team so that we can continue to uh, leverage the voices and leverage the influence of these uh, star athletes who have achieved so much. Why do you think there has been such resistance to accepting cannabis? Well, uh, the ban on cannabis has always been a political thing um, ever since it was, um, you know, banned uh, back in the, in uh, the seventies. And, you know, it's just, it's unfortunate that it's been that way and it, it got a bad reputation. And, you know, there are so many ways to use this uh, tool in a positive way. And that's what we want to want to shine light on and really uh, bring it more to the mainstream. And for those who might hear this and say, well, they're not certain that about the science about it, what would you say to them? There is already so much science available, and it is just mounting every day. Uh, we are doing some of our own research as well to understand more about the neuroprotectant qualities, um, but also understanding, you know, there, there's no way to overdose on this, on cannabis. Um, you know, the, it's uh, not addicting. It's not, you know, it, it doesn't have a lot of the negative effects of so many other substances, including things like alcohol that people regularly use uh, socially and is, is generally accepted. Um, and so, you know, we just we want to bring that to light and help people understand better. And uh, I would imagine a big part of that is kind of presenting 
cannabis versus the traditional painkillers that often have a lot of negative side effects? Absolutely. Um, Anyone who's been injured understands the effects of opioids for pain management. And as professional athletes who are often injured and are often given opioids and other um, hard narcotic painkillers, the challenge becomes then not only is it that particular medication that's causing problems, it's the side effects of it that then are being treated with additional pills. And so um, athletes get into a pill cycle that they really have a hard time getting out of. And cannabis is an alternative to that with minimal side effects. And very rarely do you need other things to counteract side effects of cannabis. Are you hearing from more and more athletes as this process goes along that they want to jump on board with this? Yes. Uh, We hear from retired athletes daily. It's really fun to see people kind of come out of the hiding and and be open about their use. Uh, A lot of athletes who are retired used it, you know, they were using it recreationally and not understanding the health benefits that was having until they, you know, were using uh, more traditional pharmaceuticals and realized the impact it was having on their body. Um, And, you know, 20 years ago, people didn't really understand it the way they are now, um, nor did they have the access. You know, now we're getting uh, much higher quality products uh, that are more reliable. Um, There's all kinds of ways to uh, take cannabis, you, it's tinctures and, and patches and edibles and um, oils and all of those things uh, that are even beyond the smoking and the vaping. So my last question, and then I'll let you go. How does WADA react to this? Do they have to answer this? Do they Can they just <laughs> ignore you? Well, that's a great question. Um, I guess technically they can just ignore us. Um, We did uh, send uh, the letter directly to them as well. So we are hoping that they will respond. Uh, We would love to have further conversations uh, with them, understand any um, challenges they have, where they are in the process. They've already raised the levels pretty high on THC. Um, So, you know, it shouldn't be a huge leap for them to remove that. Um, But there is a committee that that goes through, and uh, in the letter that we sent, we addressed the three reasons any substance would be on the WADA band list. Uh, Their criteria is it meets two of the three, and THC does not meet any of them. Uh, None of the cannabinoids do. So uh, we're hoping that we hear back from them and we can continue that conversation. We have a lot of athletes that have been under water rules for much of their life that uh, would love to see them be a leader in this area. Well, Anna, I appreciate you taking time to talk to me tonight, and I wish you the best of luck in this. All right. Thank you for having me. This was great. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?